Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, I am joined by Dave Nolan. Dave is an associate clinical professor at Northeastern University and a physical therapist at the Mass General Sports Physical Therapy Center. But more importantly, he's the director of the MGH Northeastern University Sports Physical Therapy Residency Program, and that is going to be what we're talking about in this episode. Welcome to the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Reinold from MikeReinold.com. Hey Dave, how's it going? Welcome to uh, the podcast. Appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, I'm great, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, it's a great opportunity to catch up. Awesome. Well, before we get into the meat of this episode, I want to first say congrats for winning your uh, most recent award. My, it's funny. You've, I think you've won every award now at this point. We're running out of awards to give you, but the, the most recent award was the Distinguished Mentor Award in Residency and Fellowship Education from the APTA. So this is, in my mind, a pretty big deal award. So uh, super big congrats for winning that, Dave. That's awesome. Yeah, it's humbling to be recognized by colleagues and peers. And, you know, I think for me, as I get further along in my career um, and sort of really enjoy focusing on, you know, being a resource for folks and being a mentor to then sort of be recognized for those efforts was uh, was really special and really humbling. So I was honored to, to be considered for it. So, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, obviously lots of hard work, but, um, you know, it's not always the work, right? It's about being a mentor and not everybody's, I don't, I don't want to say not everybody's cut out for that, but not everybody's as focused on that. And I think what it takes oftentimes is like that really like that, that, um, you know, lack of selfishness, you know what I mean? Like, like to understand your role in the education of, of these people is, is to help them succeed and to help them almost leapfrog you. That's almost their role. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's a challenging thing. Like, when do you think like when, when did that switch or when did that light bulb kind of go off on you you know where you said like wow like being a mentor is something I really enjoy yeah I think that it's you know as I've started and you know years ago having students and then certainly within the residency um, and I think probably for me reflecting back on my own trajectory you know where we all had had different people you know that have helped us along the way I think that you know part of it is with with uh you know, with being a mentor or being a mentee is it's more of an intentional sort of relationship um, that you're working together. So, you know, thinking back to my own personal path and, you know, just, you know, had I had different people at different times to sort of help along the way, like one of the things that I say to our residents or students all the time is, you know, learn from my mistakes. Um, you know, like if I had done things differently or if I had known what I know now, that sort of thing. So some of it is to try to help somebody else's path be a little bit less circuitous than mine maybe was, right? Uh, you know, so, and it's just, just like helping patients get better, you know, seeing, seeing early, you know, career professionals or residents or students sort of get better and see the light bulbs go off is, uh, is, is really fulfilling as well. It's not just about, you know, 
helping people for the sake of helping them. It's really fulfilling to sort of see that growth. So, you know, it's funny, you almost like flip the the script there, which I really appreciate because sometimes people, especially, you know, younger people there, when they seek a mentor, they're seeking a mentor for uh, education, like what to do. But what they don't realize that oftentimes they're learning is what not to do, right? And and as you stumble through the early part of your career, which we've all done, to have somebody help guide you through that path that can, you know, almost like help you avoid some of the early mistakes that we've both made, right? Um, I, I don't know if people appreciate that enough on how that really helps accelerate them get to where they want to be within their career. And one of the probably most uh, uh, least understood aspects of mentorship in my mind. Yeah. And I think that um, the other component that I think sometimes gets overlooked is the reality is that most people are going to have multiple mentors. You know, it's, it's not, you know, I have a, a skill set in a, in really a finite area of physical therapy, you know, so um, I can help with certain things, but not everything, you know, so um, depending on what people are looking for and where their growth is going to be. So I think that, you know, um, seeking out different people at different times is going to be, is going to be important for folks too, you know, I, li- I like um, that and making sure that it's that, that the person that you're seeking out, cause sometimes they'll, they'll seek somebody out, like somebody like yourself and, um, you know, does everybody have the time to sort of, to make it a, a successful relationship? You know what right. I mean? Um, are you going to be able to get what you need? Um, you know, when you, when you're sort of working with that person. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and, you know, good advice for somebody if they're, if they're going into the early aspect of their career. So Dave, I mean, you, again, your award was for your residency basically, um, through the APTA. So, um, for those that aren't familiar, uh, Dave's, um, uh, residency is with Mass General Hospital and Northeastern University. Probably have one of the more premier sports uh, physical therapy residencies programs that are out there right now, um, which has been great to see kind of grow. And um, um, I, I've I've seen a lot of the residents and worked alongside with them a little bit at Northeastern to see them really develop and even go on to some great you know jobs in the future. But um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today on on the episode because I think your experience and your award winning experience, right? Uh, can can really help a lot of people grow with this. So um, why don't we start with that? Like, how long have you been running that residency? How long has it been now? Yeah, so our first resident was in 2014, 2015. Uh, so since we've had 15 residents in total, and we, we actually just accepted um, two residents in our ninth cohort, uh, that, and they'll start in July. That's awesome. Do you ever yeah. look back at your first resident and say, wow, I, I, I feel bad. We made a lot of mistakes that first year. <laughs> no, th- thankfully not too many, not quite that bad. Not, not that I'm going to admit out loud, but I do feel one of the things that's been a lot of fun with the program is, you know, having the, you know, the expertise at two, you know, really great institutions is leveraging the things that are there to try to really, you know, um, make the program special, you know, taking advantage of those things um, to make sure that we're adding great experiences that are hopefully a lot of fun and then great learning opportunities as well. So we have done a lot of things 
hopefully to keep growing and making it better as opposed to, you know, fixing things that exploded. Right? <laughs> really nice way of, of saying that. I like that. Um, and you know, that, that shows again, a little bit about you as a person though. Like when you started this, you didn't just start it. You started this with some careful, uh, you know, uh, careful creation of, of what you wanted to accomplish. So, um, I'm not sure if you know this, but when you started, do you know how many sports residencies were there when you guys first started? Yeah, the exact number I don't remember, but it was in the in the low 30s, I think. Um, I was going to say even less at the time, but I yeah, mean, it might have high 20s or low 30s. Yeah. And now I think there's around 60. It's it's a moving target because there's different phases now. Right. You're getting programs that are fully accredited, and then you have programs in candidacy and in development, things like that. So there's definitely been a lot of growth in the time that that you know our program has existed, which is great to see. Right. Um, you know, but I would say that even still, the the number of programs that exist aren't are likely not enough to meet the need of the people that that want to ultimately do a residency. Right, for sure. Yeah. And 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 I think as our profession continues to grow, I think the role of residencies is going to grow within our, our development um, in a really positive way. Um, so, you know, I'm excited to kind of see the future direction of these things. But, um, you know, going on your last point right there, there's more people, right? The supply versus demand issue, right? There's more people that are probably looking for a residency <laughs> than uh, that can possibly attend one, right? So, you know, for me, I, I, I think that that shows you right there that we need to do a better job probably of developing some of these residencies. And, and hopefully over the next, like, you know, five to 10 years or so, we kind of look back in time and say that, you know, as a profession, we've shifted to, um, you know, to get people the specialized training. I think that would be that would be a really good point to get to yeah i agree i mean i think that um you know it meets a lot of needs of what many you know uh, either new grads or young professionals are looking for the structured mentorship i mean that's one of the the biggest differences is that every residency regardless of specialty area you know you're required to have at least 150 hours of of one-on-one mentorship where that time is carved out you know, and some of the things that we see a lot with people that are looking for that, if they're not new grads, many of them are people that, you know, took their first job or second job and thought they were going to get something, but then that didn't really quite work the way that they, you know, were maybe thought that it was going to, um, you know, so it's, um, it, that's a component that I think so many people are looking for. And, and as you know, you've been in, in a busy clinical practice. I've been in a busy clinical practice. It's if you're not sort of carving time out for things, the day gets busy and the time gets away from you. And, and even some of the best people, it's just hard to, to manage it, you know? So. Yeah, I would agree. If, if you don't, if you don't plan for it, your, your energy gets drained faster than you probably anticipate, especially as we're getting older, right, Dave? But, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, it, that's interesting. So, um, so wh- why don't you do this for, for the listeners? I think this would be kind of interesting, but why don't you tell us what it's like being a resident in your program? So like, what, what's their day like? What's their year like? What's their schedule like? You know, you mentioned you need, you know, essentially 150, at least 150 hours of, of, um, of contact time on one-on-one contact time like walk us through all the different components of that because i think that would be really cool for people that are considering a residency to to hear about it a little bit more deeply you know straight from you yeah sure so you know one of the things with any residency uh in sports in particular so you're going to have at least 1500 hours of um uh of of clinical work of of working with with patients there's another 300 hours of education 
Um, and then within sports residency, you're going to have another 200 hours of venue coverage as well. Um, you know, so one of the things right out of the gate is any residency is, um, is a, a huge commitment. It's a ton of work. Um, you know, and it's, and I think people need to know that going in and be motivated for it. Um, you'll get a ton out of it, but you're going to work hard to, to, you know, to get through that. Um, within, and so every, and I mentioned that because every program will achieve those goals sort of in a, in their own unique way. Um, in our, in our residencies, so the residents get hired at Mass General. Um, they typically spend about 30 hours a week, um, there in, in clinic. And then they also attend, uh, ortho grand rounds and sports medicine conference that happen every week at Mass General. Um, we typically will, they'll typically have two, two hour blocks of time with me carved out in their schedule for mentoring where the, the resident typically chooses what patient they want to have in that time that we're going to work with. So there's time specifically to talk about the patient before they're there, work with the patient uh, together, and then sort of have a debrief afterwards, which is sort of the focus of that to really try to help facilitate, you know, critical thinking and decision-making and learning. Um, they also spend two half days a week at Northeastern in the athletic training room, treating athletes there. And that's alongside Steve Clark, um, who's, who's a PT at Northeastern and faculty and has his SES as well. Um, and then they're doing a lot of venue coverage with all the Northeastern sports. And then um, alongside me at the, at the Boston Marathon and the other BAA events, and then also at the um, Special Olympics, the Summer Games, so some of the venue coverage that they'll do. Um, they are also a teaching assistant in the musculoskeletal labs at Northeastern as well. So they have some opportunities to do some teaching uh, in the DPT program. Uh, also at Mass General, they spend time every month uh, observing surgery with some of the sports medicine docs or in clinic with some of the physicians as well. Um, they spend time in musculoskeletal imaging with the attendings there, seeing procedures or looking at CTMR and things like that. Sports concussion clinic. Um, uh, and then cardiovascular performance center as well, where they get to see some high level athletes. Um, we also support them to go to, uh, CSM and the Academy's annual meeting as well. So the, um, the expenses for travel and, and lodging and registration, all that stuff is taken care of because again, we, you know, we feel strongly that that education and sort of, you know, involvement in the, in the Academy and involvement in, in APTA is important as well. So we, we make sure that we give them uh, the support and time to be able to, to attend those conferences as well. So um, that's sort of a bit of a, of a quick overview, I guess, of, of what it is. So it's busy, but hopefully yeah. good stuff. It sounds amazing. I'm thinking about applying, to be honest with you, after that. I mean, that sounds so good. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I'm sure you know this because I'm sure you 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 hear it as well and you see it, you know, just being in the industry. But one of the things I've heard about your specific residency at Northeastern and Mass General was was that people really appreciated the diversity of learning opportunities. Right. And it wasn't just like, you know, deep in the college training room. You know, some people love that. Right. But I'm sure there's a residency that has way more hours in the college training room. But I think what people appreciate is you get clinical care, you get the college training experience, you get uh, teaching experience, which I think not every program has. You have access to all the surgeons. I mean, you know, to me, it's it's so diverse that like, you know, I, I, I'm really appreciative of people like yourself putting something like this together because you have access to so many resources. It's awesome that you're sharing it. So, um, good stuff. 
Yeah, thanks. And I mean, and that was one of the goals, you know, is you see what sort of uh, expertise you have around you. And then, you know, obviously, you know, my thinking with that is they're going to they're going to learn a whole lot more about imaging by sitting with one of the attendings and going through scans or seeing procedures than, you know, for for me to give a didactic lecture about MRI or something like that. And they're going to have a much better appreciation of how to manage people after surgery, seeing what happens within the surgery, you know? So, um, you know, I guess that's the other part of my own development too, that has influenced the program is that, you know, how we learn best is to be kind of immersed and sort of gain from that expertise of, of other people. You know, I'll never forget the first surgery that I observed as a PT student. And, you know, you sort of have such a better understanding of what your patient is going through or dealing with and, you know, why you can and can't do certain things after surgery, you know, once you're, once you're in that room, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's on the one hand, it's sort of, it's like fun stuff to do, but then there's also really great opportunities for learning as well. Yeah. So what, what was the, what was the surgery that you first saw? So the very first thing I ever saw was it was a total hip. Um, <laughs> Me too. I just the remember same thing. <laughs> it, it's uh, you know, for people that haven't seen ones like, so as a, as a naive PT student, you know, it's like, you know, people will joke that orthopedic surgeons are carpenters with cooler tools you know, and they were just hammering away and sort of putting oh. the implant in. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like it, it was, wow. it was traumatizing. And you're like, well, no, no. Yeah. Of course they're in so much pain the first week after like there's, a, I mean, they're, they're literally it's carpentry. It was, uh, it was traumatizing. So, um, it was, it was really cool to follow that up with an arthroscopic procedure afterwards, but to, <laughs> to start off with a total hip, I don't recommend. So it's funny. We both shared that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it had a significant impact on my empathy. Uh, for yeah, for, for sure. So, you know, I think even just hearing a little bit from what Dave um, uh, outlined for what Northeastern's program has to offer, I think that's actually a good, um, you know, touch point to kind of learn from here is that each residency program has different things that they offer. And sometimes, you know, you hear students that just apply to a few residencies, almost like they're throwing darts at a dartboard. I think you need to understand that there's different components to it. And, you know, a good example here is if you want to dabble in a little teaching, for example, then you want to seek out something like Northeastern's that has teaching. Um, but, you know, there's other ones that don't have access to college athletes, for example. Maybe that's what you're looking for. So, you know, you know, keep that in mind that every program is a little different. So. Um, Dave, n next big thing, and I think this, this could be the best one of the episode in my mind, but um, I'm sure you come across a ton of applicants. I'd actually love to hear how many you get a year. Uh, but more importantly is, what are some of the things that you think you could share with people to help them really stand out to impress somebody in these residencies applications? Like, what are you looking for in the perfect candidate? We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeReinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeReinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one I get asked a lot, um, you know, people are always trying to get some insight as far as what they should be doing, <laughs> about, you know, uh, which I appreciate, you know, um, 
I think that, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that we, so we'll probably see, you know, 30 plus applications a year, um, uh, for, for two spots, you know, so, and so that's, it's competitive for sure. Um, the things that I always talk to people about is, is do some things to make sure that it's really what you want, you know? So the example that I give, uh, people that are considering residency all the time, especially a sports residency is go and observe or volunteer or do something with some sideline care, acute management, um, to really make sure that that's a component that you enjoy and that you want to do. You know, I tell people like, you don't want to figure out on a rainy November night that you don't like sideline coverage, you know, because you're going to do 200 hours of it in any residency, you know? Right. Um, you know, so I think that, and that's not to say that everybody should, you know, that may be part of the difference of deciding to pursue an orthopedic residency versus a sports residency is that coverage. Cause obviously in ortho and sports, you're going to have some overlap with the types of patients that you're going to see, um, and the things that you might do. Um, so that's one of them. We kind of look for, you know, has this person taken advantage of opportunities, you know, to expose themselves to that that side of physical therapy to really show themselves that that's in fact what they want to do. I think sometimes people just say like, I like athletes. I used to be an athlete. Maybe I'll do a sports residency. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the other component is then also, you know, investigating different programs, you know uh, you know, we try to have a lot of information on, on our website and many programs do, but reach out to the program directors, ask questions, you know, identify what you want to do. You know, as you mentioned, our program, you have an opportunity to do some teaching and it's actually quite a bit. So they're in one or two MSK labs and they're three hours a piece. So typically every week for three to six hours, they're doing some teaching. So if if that's not an interest of yours, then our program is probably not the best program for you, you know? Um, You know, and and you're going to see differences across the board. Like you mentioned college athletics versus high school athletics and things like that. So, you know, think about what it is that you want or what's going to help you get to your goals and then start looking for the programs that are the best fit. You know, and I think that, you know, we talked about that there's not the supply and demand issue is that, you know, people like me and program directors have the luxury of, of really just doing it like a match. You know, there's no shortage of applications. Um, so really, you're just trying to see, you know, whose goals sort of match with what your program has to offer. That's fantastic and excellent advice for people. And I, I can't help but thinking just as you were talking about that here too, like if you are sincerely passionate about what, for example, your residency has to offer, that that's going to be articulated probably in their, in their process, right? Versus the, you know, the person that you can just tell is just applying to a bunch of residencies just because they want to do a residency, but they don't honestly have like a game plan in place. So I, I, I think that's, that's an excellent kind of point. And, you know, for me, I, I, I in the past, I, I don't want to say I've been critical of residencies because I don't think I've been critical of the actual concept of residencies. I've, I've been critical more in some of the students that just blindly want to do a residency. Um, and, you know, I talked to Drew Contreras last year, actually with the APTA about this a little bit about the concept of these residencies, but what, what I'm starting to see now, what I love is that people are trying to use a residency as, as a specific tool to help them with a specific objective. 
And to me, that's where we nailed it. Because like five, six years ago, we it was, students were coming in and just saying like, oh, no, no, my university is just telling me I should do a residency. So they yeah. apply to six of them. And I'm like, well, wow, that I mean, let's talk this through a little bit. So, you know, based on that, Dave, I mean, I mean, do you think everybody should do a residency? Do you think it's, you know, just the right type of person? Uh, you know, what would be your advice on somebody that's kind of on the fence, maybe? Yeah, and I think that's a, a, an incredibly important question and one I think too many students don't think about. Um, you know, so, so out of the gate, no, I don't think everyone should do a residency, which may not be the most popular opinion of somebody who's involved in residency. <laughs> um, you know, but I think that it's a, it's a specific path um, to an end goal, you know, um, to specialization. And, and I think that we, as a profession, sometimes undervalue the expertise of a generalist, um, and not everybody has the, you know, the luxury of, of working in a really specialized environment, you know, right. Um, you know, I know people all over the country that, you know, their schedule doesn't look like ACL, 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 Tommy John, you know, it's somebody who had a stroke, somebody who had a hip fracture, somebody who had an ACL, somebody, you know, so, um, you know, there's not a residency for that specifically, you know, <laughs> I, like so I think if people have, have really identified what their passion is and where they want to go and residency will help them get there, then absolutely. I think what I see a lot, is, you know, to, to, to your point is that people, some people just think it's, well, it's what I do next, right? right exactly. I did my undergrad degree. I got my PT degree. Now I do a residency and, and then I guess maybe I'll do a fellowship, right? <laughs> right. It's, um, which they're, is, they're either afraid to commit, they love debt or they're, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's something, uh, you know, going on with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it should be an intentional decision. You know what I mean? Right. And, and also not one that you have to make, you know, coming straight out of PT school. You know, we get plenty of applicants that have been out a year or that sort of thing, figuring things out. And then, you know what, I was, I didn't know if I wanted ortho or sports, but now I know this is really what I enjoy as a population. And, and this is sort of the residency is going to help me get right. to where I want to be. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, to me, I think that's probably one of the more important concepts there is, is have a goal in mind. Right. And I've, I've talked so many of our students out of residencies, you know, and the example is always, I always say like, yeah, all right, so what's next? And they're like, well, I'm going to apply to residencies. I'm like, that's great. I'm like, what's your dream job? What are you going to get? Like, oh, I just want to move back to my, my little hometown um, somewhere and work in the orthopedic practice. I'm like, and you don't think you can do that right now? Like without a residency, <laughs> like, like, you know, for example, like, you know, so for me, we try to help them like almost work backwards from say, you know, where do you want to get to? Right. And how can a residency help you get there? And I think that's, I think that's the, that's the best part. It shouldn't just be a tool for self-confidence. There's, there's other ways to build self-confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and for me, that decision on residency ties in, you know, we talked about mentoring and mentorship and, and things being intentional. Um, I think that, you know, the, and the, the advice I try to give people is that the decisions that we make should be intentional. Like if you want right. to do a residency, don't be doing a residency just cause, or cause you think that's what should be next or somebody told you that, right. but you know, what, what do you want to do and, and how is this program going to help you be successful? Um, and, and I will say that even if it's not to move towards a specific job, with a specific population, certainly, you know, there's going to be value in your decision-making and thought process and that sort of thing. But, you know, it should be an intentional decision because if it's not, uh, I will say that comes across 
when you're interviewing candidates and reading letters and things like that, like you can see the people that have the passion there versus the ones that are just sort of doing it because they think that's what they should be doing. That's 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 great. That's great. And and I think, you know, even if, if somebody just listening to this podcast takes like those two points, essentially, is, you know, have a goal in mind and, and make sure it fits your passion. So that way, you know, your your interview process, it'll be you'll you'll impress everybody because it'll be very obvious that this is the the, the logical next move for you. So um, that that's awesome stuff. And one thing to consider, too, is I don't know if anyone else has been adding them up. I've been trying to take notes here, but I'm trying to figure out how many hours in a week that Dave and, and his residents have because they're not adding up, right? I think we're well over, you know, everything, everything. So, so, uh, you know, time consuming here. So keep this in mind here too. This, this is a big commitment, right? I mean, I don't know. Dave just outlined like at least eight hours a week of work from what I, I could try to, to um, add up. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, and that's, and that's true with, with any residency, I would say, regardless of specialty area and things like that, you know, that, um, be prepared that, you know, it's incredible learning opportunities and things like that, but especially in sports, right? Because, you know, games and practices and things like that change, you'll have weeks that are super busy and then you'll have a little bit of downtime, you know, right. so it is, it is not your, you know, your typical nine to five Monday to Friday. And that's all there is. Um, it's a huge commitment. It's a lot of work and, you know, um, everyone's working hard to, for the resident to be successful, um, but it's not easy by any stretch, you know, there's, there's easier ways to sort of get letters after your name and things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well said. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully it ends up being one of the most impactful years of your life too. I think that's the point. And, you know, it's not going to do that in, in, unless you're very strategic with it. So, you know, um, I think that's awesome. So, um, Dave, that was awesome. Um, I, I like ending the podcast with a, a little series of questions that I call the high five, right? So essentially five quick questions, five quick answers, but you know, really impactful, hopefully for, for the listeners. But first big question is, is what are you currently reading or working on for your own continuing education or your, your own professional development? Yeah, I've digging in a little bit deeper with, uh, with blood flow restriction lately and sort of, you know, looking at, at applications for, um, you know, a lot, lots of work has been done with post-operative patients, but sort of looking even more at, you know, chronic injury and the, the people that just sort of can't load and can't get past it. You know, it's just been such a huge, um, you know, tool to sort of help people that uh, it's, it's been really interesting, exciting to sort of learn more about it and see how quickly it's growing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good one. Um, what is one thing that you've recently changed or evolved your thoughts on? I see with, I see lots of endurance athletes. So I see lots of tendon pathology. Um, so incorporating shockwave or having people, um, you know, see practitioners that do shockwave therapy, uh, and on top of the loading activity, um, you know, there's there's some some new literature that's been coming out that's showing that the two together may actually be more beneficial for me. Like that used to be, I would work with people and lots of people would get better, but then some people wouldn't. And it would be like, well, maybe you should try doing doing this, like seeing somebody for an injection or a shockwave or something like that. Whereas I don't look at it as let's wait till we fail to do this other thing, but rather, you know, let's sort of let's work together with these different interventions to try to have the best outcome. 
That, that's a great one too. And, and you have access to just so much where you are, but um, I feel like the barrier to entry to shockwaves actually getting a little bit more, uh, you know, easier to people. Um, I, have you tried any of the, like the clinical applications of that, that, that you can do yourself versus having to go to, you know, a, a medical doctor to have like a bigger procedure? Have you tried any of those? I haven't, I've, I've read a little bit on them, you know, but um, you know, within, so one person local in the Boston area that's doing a lot of it is Adam 1040. Um, and he's somebody that's done a lot of research and, and is generating some of those papers. And that's the, some of the stuff that I've read as well. So, you know, we're lucky in this area to have to, to have some, you know, world-class folks that are, that are in our, in our backyard to be able to send people to. So um, yeah, I haven't explored sort of doing that on my own, sort of, you know, just, uh, just collaborating with other people. That's great. Great. Awesome. Uh, what is one, what, or if you had to give a student or some early career professional, one piece of advice, what's your biggest piece of advice right now? I think the biggest thing is to, is to take view everything as a learning opportunity and take advantage of every learning opportunity. Um, you know, I think that that students often, you know, whether it's a, an affiliation or whatever it might be, sort of have their thoughts in their head of what the, the best thing is going to be. And sometimes the, those plans don't work out. Um, some of the things that were most impactful for me were jobs that I didn't necessarily intend or, you know, opportunities or meetings or, um, uh, you know, affiliations and things that even, even if it's not what you thought it was going to be, it's an opportunity to learn. Even negative things, I think back, sometimes the negative stuff has been more impactful because I'm like, well, when I'm practicing, I'm definitely not going to do things that way. Or, you know, so um, I think sometimes people kind of get in a bit of a rut and just, you know, are, are unhappy about something, but there's always opportunities to learn and sort of have it influence, you know, how you do things moving forward. Yeah, I like that. And I feel like I've seen, you know, early career professionals kind of focus on uh, trying to avoid as much negativity as they can, which obviously you should, but just keep in mind that even if you find yourself in a negative environment, right? Like there's lots of things you're going to learn from that experience and then move on and, and become better because of it. So, um, that that's excellent advice. I love it. Um, what's coming up next for you, Dave? I mean, any more awards we're about to win anything else we need to know? Cause, it, uh, it's, it's been an impressive resume, but what's next for you? Uh, so one of the, the April is always a fun month for me because of the Boston marathon. So we're back on a normal schedule this yeah. year after COVID and things. So I've had the pleasure of coordinating the, the physical therapy care at the finish line for, I think this is my, will be my 19th year. Wow. Um, so the, the third Monday in April is, is the Boston marathon. So we've, the medical leadership has been working for months now, sort of putting together plans and things like that. So that's around the corner and, um, in June, two fun things for me in June, we have our, our annual sports medicine conference that's going to be focused on the female athlete. Um, that's, uh, I think, still going to be virtual this year, but hopefully we'll have some opportunities and more information with a final program out soon that people can check out. And then I'm really excited. I was selected to be part of the medical delegation for the Special Olympics USA Games, which is wow. in Orlando in June. Awesome. Um, so just an amazing group of, of athletes that are going to be competing uh, down in Orlando, Florida. Um, and I'll be heading down with the delegation from Massachusetts. So I'm super excited about that, too. That's a good one. Yeah. Congrats on that, too. That's that's yeah, heck. That's that's just a few months, David. You got a lot going on in these few months. That's going to be busy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then, you know, how do we find out more about you? Is there a place that, um, you know, you like to share some of these things, social media, on the Internet somewhere? How can people find more uh, more about what you're up to? 
Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be better about, you know, putting things on social media. I definitely, you know, that's for, you know, for, for me, one of the things that, uh, I don't stay on top of as much as I, as, as I should or could, and, and I am trying to get better about it. You know, our residency website has things on it and then certainly trying to be more involved in the Academy. I just had the opportunity, um, uh, recently this earlier this month to put a talk together for the hip SIG uh, Academy of sports PT, you know, we're trying to have more information that's just available to members to sort of highlight some of the benefits of, of being a member of the Academy and the APTA. Um, so certainly those are some areas that I try to contribute to for sure. That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, Dave, thanks so much for taking time out to do this episode. Um, lots of great information on residencies and, and what, um, you know, people could maybe, uh, take for some good tips to, to do a better job, uh, making sure that these programs are right for them and succeed in them. So again, thank you for sharing, uh, your knowledge and taking the time to uh, talk to us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to me. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRano.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And also be sure to search for my other podcast, The Ask Mike Reinald Show, where my team of physical therapists, strength coaches, and I answer your questions. See you on the next episode.